Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm a brand and marketing strategist. And this podcast, The Currency, is all about the power of private business in America. Today, I have a guest with me that has a very unique business. I'm excited to talk with her. Her name is Cindy Martin, and she's the executive director of an organization called Little Springs Farm. Cindy, welcome to The Currency. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. Well, thank Looking you. And you're, you're providing the, we're, we're at your farms. So you're down just outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, maybe about 20, 30 minutes outside of Reading. And uh, you have a beautiful estate here at the horse farm. And we're going to talk about this business. I'm fascinated because what you're doing here strikes me as something that's more like a not-for-profit. And we're going to get into what you're doing. But you're running it as a for-profit business. And, you know, there's a lot of talk in society about B corporations and businesses that do good and save the earth. And these are great things, but you're not out there wearing this on your sleeve. You're doing this very interesting work and you're doing it as a for-profit business. So I'm kind of interested to learn a little bit about why you went that route. So for the sake of our audience, do you mind taking just a moment and telling us what is Little Springs Farm and what do you do here? Sure. Yeah, we do a lot of different things. Everything that we do is um, wrapped around people and horses. Okay. So we're in partnership with Bethany Christian Services, um, and we do foster care work with them. Um, We also provide um, equine-assisted learning programs for children who are adopted or birth children. Um, And we teach, basically what we do is we teach children how to ride a horse, but through the lens of TBRI, which means trust-based relational intervention. Okay. So um, they're learning how to ride, but they're learning a lot more than than that, and they're learning it maybe in a different way than they would learn it at a different farm. So what does that look like? I, I like I remember my daughter had a very good friend, uh, still a good friend, but he has a, has a horse farm, and so my daughter and his adolescent, we'd go down on a Saturday, and he'd teach her how to ride. How does it look different here than what a typical equine? Uh, riding lesson would look like. Yeah. Well, we also do regular uh, horsemanship lessons okay, too. Okay. So but that happens. This equine assisted learning thing. Um, first of all, we find out what what does the family need. Everything that we do here is based upon a need. We're always answering a question or solving a problem. Okay. So we find out from the parents what does the family need. If they're looking um, to increase attachment with a child, then we'll base all those activities on. Um, games and fun things that they can do with their families. So mom, typically it's mom, would be involved in that. A lot of times uh, children, especially maybe children with trauma in their background, they don't understand that they have a voice. So in my grooming box, I have curry combs, but none of them are black. They're what's red. A, what's a curry, curry comb? Curry Just comb. for us non-equestrians. Right. I'm going to have to remember that. A curry That's comb a- <laughs> is something that we use to brush the horse with to get okay. the dust off. So okay. we have pink ones, purple ones, blue and red. And so everything we do, we, we give the child a choice. Do you want the red one? Do you want the pink one? And they get to choose. And that that's um, encouraging them to use their voice. And it creates a sense of power for them to make a decision. So those would be two right off the top of my head examples sure. of things that we would do differently. So what I'm hearing is that it's it's very thoughtful. Every aspect of the process is thought thoughtful. It's not just... Um, this is how you get on the saddle and, and working with the horse is going to help the child. But it's even when we're grooming the horse, they're, they're just very thoughtful decisions being made. 
Yes, and that's exactly right. And it's it's all based upon communication. Okay. How do we interact with the child? Um, say, for instance, a child tells us that they're having a bad day at school. We don't say, oh, well, at least you get to go to school. We offer empathy. <laughs> you know, there's just, a, there's just a certain way of communicating mm-hmm. um, when you've studied trust-based rela- relational interventions that are empowering and um, showing empathy to sure. kids. So. And are, are the majority of children coming through needing special care? I mean, is it, I know you're just giving general, you said we're also doing just equestrian horse riding lessons, but are the majority of your, do you refer to them as clients or students? I mean, what's the language you use? Uh, we, the, the person paying the bill is the client. The person okay. receiving the service services is the participant. Participant. Yeah. Okay. So are and most of the participants um, needing some extra help just on an emotional level or a, a assertiveness level, or is it just the average kid coming in here and you're just trying to help them mature? Yeah. It's it, the range is, is huge. Um, the first thing that I do when I receive a phone call or, you know, an email from the website is just connect with the parent and find out what are they looking for. Um, sometimes the nice thing about having Bethany Christian services here on our property is that I will refer them down the driveway to meet with, with them and, and, um, talk to one of their mental health professionals about psychotherapy. Okay. Um, and I guess we'll talk about that later, but, um, and if they're not really looking for psychotherapy, but they're looking for more of a positive esteem building relationship building experience that, that would be, um, an equine assisted learning program. And then that looks a little different. Okay. It's not psychotherapy. So just to paint a picture, how many acres are we sitting on here? We are sitting on 25 acres, a little more than five of which is um, wooded. Mm-hmm. And um, the rest requires either the horse eating the grass or us mowing it. <laughs> yeah. I know what you do on nights and weekends, I'm sure, in the warm weather. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, right now that's not growing as fast, the grass, but I'm sure it's... Interesting to keep up with. And you, you told me you have five horses. We were talking before we started the interview. Is that accurate? Five? Yeah. Typically, normally we have six, but we lost one just recently to mm. um, brain cancer, um, which was devastating. Yeah. So I think we are looking for one more horse and maybe a mini for the kids that okay. don't really want to get on a horse, but want to still work with a horse. How old was the horse that you lost? It's anybody's guess. He wasn't registered. He was, I call him Methuselah. He was really old. (laughs) He was everyone's favorite. He was a Palomino. And I don't know if you know uh, what that means. I do, yeah. Yeah. But but describe what is a Palomino. I I think of, when I hear Palomino, I think of like the white and brown kind of... But I may have the wrong picture. I think you're thinking of a paint horse, maybe? Yeah, maybe I am, yeah. Palomino is blonde mane, blonde tail, blonde hair. Okay. And they can be lighter or darker. Very striking. Yeah, his name was Richie, and he was everyone's favorite. He, We called him a babysitter horse. Okay. If someone knew how to ride well, they could canter and do um, pole bending, barrel racing. If someone was a little unsure, he would walk very gingerly. Mm. He was a saint, yeah, and his. Um, we miss him. I still dream about him some yeah, nights. That's terrible. And um, it really impacted our families here, especially sure. foster family children who have already had so much loss. To lose a really good friend like Richie was mm. was really tough. 
Well, Cindy, let me ask the question around this. You know, you're focused on doing this work, helping these children and their families through horses. Why horses versus dogs? I mean, isn't, you know, I think of like, because I've, I've lost a dog and it's heartbreaking. You get very close to dogs. But what is it about horses that um, made you decide to go this route? That's a good question. I get asked that a lot. Um, well, for for one thing, horses are sentient be- beings. Of course, they can sense and feel things, but horses can do that greater than most other animals. They just have an ability to sense what's going on, sense where a person is at. Mm-hmm. Um, they are able to communicate with us without using words, and they communicate. We can communicate with them without using words. In fact, we need to. And that's part of, you know, the beauty of this work. Um, As far as the uh, riding that we do, uh, there's a segment of natural lifemanship, which is what my certification is in, that says that um, we connect with the one who carries us and healing happens when we're being carried. So there's a lot that goes on when you sit in a saddle. And we can talk more about that later, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think the main thing, um, the main reason why horses and uh, horses work really well with this work is because a horse's brain develops the same way that a traumatized human being brain develops. Really? Um, yeah, horses are born in that survival mode where they're going to need to choose fight, flight, or freeze. And then as they um, learn, as they're encouraged to make decisions, they move up into the higher levels of their brain, which is why um, it's fun. It's fun to work with a horse, especially um, if you can find a horse that's never been touched before. Um, it, it's exciting because... Yeah, their brain will develop the same way that ours does. And so to do that together, horses can help people heal. People mm-hmm. can do the same for them. Wow, that's that's really powerful. Um, you know, I, you talk about how close horses are to people and people to horses. This friend, I remember him having me ride a horse, and, and he was explaining to me, you know, a lot of people when they're on a horse feel they've got to yank the horse one way or the other. He says, honestly, with a, with a well-trained horse, all you have to do is look in the direction and the horse can feel where you're looking. Yeah, yeah. And not because I'm swiveling my body, but they're just in tune with what's going on with the person on top of them. And, and he would show me, I'd get on the horse and, and this was a well-trained horse, obviously, that mm-hmm. he had me on, but it was really, it was remarkable. Yeah. And the other part of that is you can have a really well-trained horse that won't do anything if someone who tries to ride him that doesn't feel connected to him. Okay. If there's not a connection there, your well-trained horse can act like, you know, they don't know anything. Sure. I think even more than the training is what level of connection do you have with the horse? Where can you think turn left and the horse understands that? And you think, whoa, and the horse stops. Sure. And that takes time to develop. But that's a powerful experience. Wow. I can imagine, Uh, especially when you're on top of, I ride a motorcycle. So for me, it's fun (laughs) to be on this big iron horse, right? Like you have a sense of power because you're on this thing, but you're also out in the open. And Mm -hmm. I think at a different speed, obviously, but it's one thing to have your dog respond to your commands and desires, but to have this animal that I mean, how, what does a horse weigh? I can't even, I don't even know. Like A thousand pounds, yeah. generally. <laughs> and this thing that's so huge, say, yeah, I'm happy to 
to do this with you. That's got to be pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So tell me, um, we've talked a little bit about what you're doing and who you're doing it for, a little bit about what it looks like, and we can get more into that. We've talked a little bit about why horses, but tell me a little bit about your background. Why did you choose to do this, and how, how did you find yourself with this business that you started? Um, I guess I would say it started in 2001 when we moved in here, but really I would, for, this, for the sake of this conversation, I would back that up to the time when I was 10 years old is when I first knew why I was created, what God had intended for my life. <laughs> um, our fam we had a, a family friend with a child who had a really hard time remaining regulated. Um, there were a lot of behaviors. Um, I remember in one instance, we gave him a gift, and he got so excited that he stomped on it and broke it into uh, a million pieces. Poor. Now, is this you remembering now when you were a child that this yeah. happened? Okay. Mm -hmm. I was 10 years old gotcha. um, when, it, when I knew that when I grew up, I wanted to be a child psychologist, and I wanted to be able to help children with, with problems like that. At ten. Um, at ten, a lot of a lot of people would would say things like, you know, look at the behavior itself. Why is you know I can't believe he did that. I would I would look at the child and say, how can we help him with this? Because certainly he's not happy with how he's behaving. There's something going on. What? Why doesn't somebody help him? But see, that's a unique perspective. Because as you're describing it, I know for myself, I would have looked then and said, how can, like, the way he's behaving is a problem for me. I don't like mm -hmm. the way he's behaving. He mm -hmm. has to knock it off versus, mm -hmm. oh, goodness, what's, what's mm -hmm. wrong inside that I need to mm -hmm. help him with? Mm -hmm. I mean, as I've gotten older and as I've been a father, you start to, but at, at even 25, I wouldn't have looked at that kid mm -hmm. that way. So that's mm -hmm. impressive as a 10-year-old. Yeah. So um, my mom's immediate response was, well, I mean, this was back in the 70s, and my mom's immediate response was, well, you can't have a career and have a family. You will have to choose. <laughs> and I wanted a family. So I thought, well, I'm just I'm going to be a mom. I won't pursue being a child psychologist. But God had other plans. And every step of the way, um, every decision that I made brought me closer to, to this. Um, when I was an aerobics instructor, um, they matched me with the kids for, you know, the kids aerobics program. Um, at church, instead of leading the women's Bible study, I was the director of the children's programs. It was always kids, um, and I always had a heart for the hurting. When I went to a, um, a missions trip after school, I would find the kids. The kids would find me. Um, so, yeah, it just... It, just one step after the other just brought me to this, to this place, yeah. So your heart was always in helping children, even as a child yourself. And you found yourself in various roles that were, even as a mother, obviously, and then the work that you were doing in your church and community. How did you get the vision to say, you know what, I want to do a work where I'm using horses? Because obviously, I'm guessing horses have been a passion of yours as well. Mm -hmm. um, how did those two things come together and, and where you said, let's do this, let's hang yeah. a shingle out and, and help. Yeah, good question. And I'm not a business person. I don't, I mean, I don't consider myself a business person. Um, business was a huge part of my upbringing. My parents were both 
business people. Um, but how it all started was when we moved to the farm, my daughter wanted to be in, um, uh, in equine 4-H. Okay. And so I became a leader so that I could be a part of that. And, um, and, and I guess even before that, boarding horses here that was that was one of the things that I started the day we moved in boarding horses but um that wasn't fulfilling me I mean it was a way to um sort of supplement uh, our horses Mm -hmm. probably for every four horses boarded we could pay our own pay for our own horses expenses so it was that was a goal for us that that we would have it set up that way but boarding horses, um, it just it just lacked something for me. So I decided I'm going to kind of start a side side job and um, start teaching the neighborhood kids how to ride. Okay. And then as I did that, a lot of the neighborhood um, families were adoptive families, and they'd say to me, "Why is my child waking up at night and eating a whole tube of toothpaste?" Uh. Why is my child getting up and eating the Tums? Um, Why does my child kick the cat? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to help you find out. I mean, I'm going to dig in. And I think that first winter, maybe around, I don't know, 2005, something like that, it snowed like crazy. I would get the kids on the bus, and then I would sit in my rocking chair in front of the fire and just read everything that I could. I listened to podcasts, went to... um, conferences and just started studying and I was pretty much just self-taught what is this trauma you know what is trauma how does it affect the brain Um, and so I started passing on some of this information to the parents and then I thought I have the coolest idea a lot of these kids that come here already have um, a therapist that they're working with what if I could communicate with the th- with their therapist or their therapist could come here and the work that I do with the horses could support the work that they're doing in therapy. Interesting. How cool would that be? So I started talking to all the therapists that I knew and of course no one was interested. I'm like, oh. no, I have to work in my office. I don't know anything about horses. And then there's that HIPAA thing, you know, um, I think there was a good three years that I was actively approaching people about this and agencies, and I was getting nowhere. And one day my husband suggested contacting Bethany Christian Services, and they're they're a huge organization. They're they're international. They have offices internationally, and I was resistant, but in the end I went. And um, turns out that they were interested, and we had a house on our property that that they were able to use for an office. Um, taking care of the HIPAA problem. And right around that time, we discovered natural lifemanship, which what I thought was my invention had been invented a couple years earlier, (laughs) where they, the model is that they partner a mental health professional with an equine professional, the participant, and most often the mom or dad and a horse. And it is a great model so this it's called natural lifemanship. Natural lifemanship. Well, I'll make sure to post a link in the show notes for the listeners if you want to check out more of this. I'll, that'll be there. Uh, you can just go to mikegaston.com and just look for this episode, and there'll be some show notes with that. But tell us a little bit about 
Because you said you recently got certified in national yes. natural lifemanship. Sorry. Yes. So I'm the first person to be certified in the state of Pennsylvania. Congratulations. And I was very happy. It took three years, and, and it wasn't cheap. And um, I learned a ton. Um, probably one of the most valuable things I've done recently. Wow. I just really enjoyed it. Um, I love how they are principles-based, not rules-based. Um, so they're a training organization. They train mental health professionals and equine professionals how to help people. Um, and where are they based out of? They're in um, Texas. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I, I interrupted you. So you're saying that your husband suggested, and I should point out to listeners, I, don't, I didn't say this in the opening, uh, if you want to learn more about Cindy's husband, his name is Kent Martin, and he was a guest on the show, I want to say, what well, was in 2019, it was last year, a handful of months ago, and he owns a company called Signature Custom Cabinetry. And, and so there's a bit of a connection here. <laughs> Although, um, so Kent, also being an entrepreneur, said, why don't you get in touch with Bethany? Mm-hmm. They helped with the HIPAA situation. So you're able to pull this together. Now that you've got it running, mm-hmm. the folks that you went out into the community and said, hey, therapist, this would be great. Do you want to do this? And they said, I don't know that I can do this. Now that you've got it running, have they changed their tune a little bit? Have people come to you now and said, you know, I want to learn more. I know you approached me years ago, but is that, is that happened at all? Or, or has it really stayed between uh, the folks at Bethany and, and what you're doing here? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think it takes a certain type of a therapist to want to come out in all types of weather. and Put on um, the muck boots. <laughs> yeah, and they do that. It, it's, it's been um, quite a learning experience for them. Okay. Most of the therapists that I work with have no horse experience. One does. One actually owns one of the horses that we Okay. have here on the property but um yeah it's not for the faint of heart yeah and things happen out here it's experiential and it's it's not like um like you and I sitting here at this table where we're just talking about something that might be an issue in our lives we're actually experiencing it you know there's the disappointment oh Sally I'm sorry you can't ride your horse today they she threw a shoe then the tantrum starts, and then you work with that. Okay. It's really happening. Mm-hmm. It's not just mom reporting and saying, we don't know what to do when Sally has a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. It's actually happening. Right. Um, there's just a lot of unknowns when you get out there with, with the horses and um, the weather. But that's the beauty of it. it. It brings kids out into the nature. They're experiencing all of the sensory input from being outside in the weather. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So as you're working with these children, I'm just curious what a typical, is this something that where the, the child's working with you for a few weeks, months, years? And then I guess my follow-up question around that is you, like, what does it take to start seeing results? How do you, how do you know when someone's better when they've gotten to a point? Cause I, I can imagine being the kid saying, I don't want to be done. Like I love working with these mm-hmm. horses, so I just want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to solve a problem and, and help them <clears throat> overcome a challenge. What does that look like? Yeah, we have um, we have measured outcomes for the first time um, in 2019 uh, with the equine assisted learning program. So parents would fill out. Um, an assessment before they begin, like the week school lets out and, and let us know on a scale of one to five, where does your child rate on about 20 different, um, 
items or, you know, 20 different points. And then at the end, we assessed again in August. And I was very, very surprised. I knew that the results were going to be good, but I didn't, I, I was just surprised that it was that good. Wow. So there's a dramatic difference yeah. as reported by the parents. Very much so. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that we see positive outcomes on are um, communication. And it's not, it. everybody learns a better way of communicating. Right. It's not just the child has to. Parents, yeah. One, one report from a parent was, I think the greatest thing that we learned was that if we, if someone asks our child a question, she can answer on her own. We don't need to answer for her. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons they came here was because the child wasn't interacting as well as was expected socially. But there was a lot of jumping in and answering the question for the child because the child was shy. And and I just demonstrated what would happen if we just give the child a moment. Let's just wait. Let's just see. And um, after a summer of that, it, it, yeah, the child was answering questions. Yeah, so like, And we... Yeah. I, oh, I didn't mean to, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking of the, uh, it's like the old married couple where the henpecked husband, he never answers the question. The wife jumps in. And then when someone says, well, why don't you let him talk? Oh, he doesn't like to talk, <laughs> but you know, he would, if he had the if chance, he like, he's just given up. I mean, we're, they're 50 years in and he's not going to waste the energy. Right. So it's, it's, so you're, you want to create some space and say, well, let's see what happens when the child has an opportunity. And the, so the, both the parents and the child are learning something. Yeah, and the concept of do-overs, that's something um, also TBRI-related. Karen Purvis was the founder of um, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, and she talks a a lot about do-overs. So if if mom would come into the barn with the family and, and say, usually what we do is the first 15 minutes we spend grooming a horse and we do a little check-in. How was your week? What were the good parts? What were the bad parts? And then we kind of go with that when it gives us something to, to, to talk about while we're riding. And I remember one time a mom said that uh, the brother locked the sister out of her bedroom or in her bedroom sure. or whatever it was. <laughs> and, and I said, well, let's, let's act it out. And so one of the stalls was the bedroom, and we acted this out right there in the barn, and there was tons of laughter. And when we're laughing, we're learning. Hmm. Um, Why is that? Why do you say that? Well, they say that play is the best uh, research ever. Um, I read a statistic the other day that if you, if you teach a child something just by speaking it to them, you need to speak it four or 500 times. If they attack that or approach that same concept through play, it happens immediately. Mm. So, um, yeah, we do all kinds of stuff like that in the barn. So outcomes, you were asking me about outcomes. Um, with some of the um, psychotherapy programs, they're based upon a certain number of weeks or they'll have um, goals at the end when the goals are met. Um, they'll stop and maybe maybe check in a year later. Um, but for the um, equine assisted learning programs that we do, I have some children who are now teenagers that have been coming here for eight, ten years. I mean, they can, they come back, they love it. Some kids will ride. <laughs> when it's freezing cold out. They'll say, Miss Cindy, can I come ride? And they wimp out. I wimp out long before they do. 
So it's a little different in, in each instance, sure. how, how that part of it goes, but, um, measurable outcomes. Um, somebody said something the other day, um, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. And I love that because a lot of times people look at equine assisted therapy and they think unicorns and rainbows. They think that it's just feel good and it's just, just playing with horses. But for us, it's not. There's a lot of science behind it. And we talk about this being the science and art of connection. And um, we, we lean pretty hard on the science side here. My guest today is Cindy Martin. She's the executive director of Little Springs Farm. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. But before we do that, I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about the work that Cindy and her team are doing, Go visit their website. Just go to littlespringsfarm.com. That's L-I-T-T-L-E, springs, plural, farm.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can learn more about their work and get in touch as well if you want to communicate with Cindy and her team. Guys, we'll be right back after this quick message. Guys, I hope you're enjoying today's show. I've got to tell you, I really love putting this podcast together. There's something really special about meeting these business owners, hearing their stories, and then getting those stories out to you, the community that makes up the currency. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for helping me make this podcast so successful. Now, look, if you are a business owner and you're trying to scale your business, you're trying to grow, maybe introduce new products, maybe capture new markets, or just capture more share in your existing market, I'd love for you to get in touch. I'd love to help you. You know, I'm a brand and marketing strategist. I help the owners of private businesses transform their marketing from an overhead function, something that costs them money, to a revenue-generating machine, something that brings money into the business. Every dollar you spend should generate exponential return. And so I love working with folks that own businesses to help them do that transformation. If that's something you think you could use some help with, let's at least have a discussion. Get in touch, like I said. My email address is mike at mikegaston.com. You can also go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a contact form there. But get in touch and let's get a discussion started. Now, guys, let's get back to today's show. And we're back. My guest today is Cindy Martin. She's the executive director of Little Springs Farm. Cindy, welcome back. Good discussion so far. And I've enjoyed learning uh, about the work you do and why you do it, how you found uh, your way into this this work, and even the fact that you're getting great results. I mean, it's just, it's just exciting all the way around. So when I hear all those things, just my kind of uh, stereotype, I guess, is that this just sounds like a not-for-profit to me. Mm-hmm. But this is a for-profit business. Why did you decide to go that route? Why not do a, a 501c3 or whatever the equivalent would be for this type of work? Yeah, the equivalent would be a 501c3. And you're right, most equine therapy programs do go that route. Um, I guess just because, um, the short answer is that I never planned any of this. It just, it just happened. Like I'm everything that I've learned about running a business. I've learned since doing this, I didn't go to college. I didn't say I want to be a business person. And so I'm going to learn it before I do it. I learned it as I did it. As a necessity, it sounds like. Yeah, Yeah. Um, which which is cool on one hand. On the other hand, it would have been nice if I would have prepared ahead of time. But it it was just one foot in front of the other. And um, 
if I would have said, oh, we have a farm and we have horses, so let's do equine therapy, then I could have planned to do a 501c3. It takes about a year mm-hmm. until you have everything in place. And you you lose a bit of control because you have a board, you have to do a lot of financial reports, um, you have people to answer to as far as what are you going to do with your horses, can they be, you know, you, it's just a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, as the business owner, property owner, program director, program developer. Chief cook and bottle washer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am free to just do what I want. And um, I, that, that's appealing to me. I, I love that um, I live in this land where um, I can wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I have a cool idea. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to create this program for kids who dot, 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 fill in the blank. Um, I want to go learn and study this. I want to worship here. Like I, there is just something about life that I think living here and in these times is exciting. The, the, the freedom and the liberty to, to pursue things that you find fascinating, Mm -hmm. try to solve problems that you're interested in. Is that? Mm-hmm. That what you're getting at. And so you feel having a 501c3, I'm not hearing you say, well, I couldn't do that at all, but you're saying it just makes it more complicated. It, it makes it more bureaucratic. I mean, you didn't use that word, but that it, it, am I hearing that correctly? That it just isn't as easy to get at yeah, the well, work you want to do? Yeah. And it, it does, it is one of the main challenges of the professional side of my life is, um, I do feel a little like I'm stuck between being a 501c3 and a business because if if I didn't live here and have access to um, a tractor, the equipment, if we didn't own some of the horses mm-hmm. ourselves, um, it would be really hard to be financially sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody just is deciding, hey, I want to do this and I'm going to make a lot of money and um, this is, it's it's a challenge. Let's just put it that way. So doing we equine fund- therapy doesn't keep one in furs and diamonds, you're telling no, me. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. And Not if that I, furs are allowed anymore, but you know. <laughs> and if I decided, you know what, let's do the 501c3, then you can fundraise, then you can, sure. you know, bridge those gaps. Um, we would probably, Little Springs Farm would probably be a little further along if I was a 501c3 because I am super passionate about what I do and I love to talk to people about it. You've got a good story to tell. Yeah. yeah and I think, um, you know, there, there would be, we'd probably have more employees or more um, support services, I think. Mm-hmm. Right now, I am, like you said, I, I do a lot of it myself. Um, and when you're so busy doing everything yourself, um, you just kind of get stuck doing the same thing. Sure. There's not time to develop a new program yeah. or, or go a different route. Sure. But um, I'm still happy with it, the way it is. <laughs> well, it's interesting. And I really appreciate this piece of the discussion because people hear business and they immediately think, well, you're in it for the money. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear that from you. So what I'm what I am hearing is that 
as a family, you have some prosperity, you have some land, you have the ability to have some equipment. I mean, just have some things that you have access to. And you're leveraging those things in order to help others. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're choosing to go a for-profit route. And in my mind, what I hear is you're aligning interests. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of not-for-profits, and this isn't a knock, but they can go out and raise money. That doesn't mean that money gets spent well. It doesn't mean that it's effective. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there's the accountability. Mm-hmm. But on, on a for-profit level, and that doesn't mean that it, it's necessarily spent incorrectly either. I'm just saying... In a for-profit business, if you're offering me something and I don't think the quality is good, I don't like the experience, you're just never going to get my money again. You might get it one time and then we're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so your interests are aligned with those people that are paying, saying, hey, I want my child to be here. I think this is going to help Susie. Mm-hmm. And if you're not helping Susie or you're not helping her in a way that I'm comfortable with or whatever, helping me too, we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me people are staying here for 10 years. <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing is, yeah, okay, maybe it's not a huge industry and you don't have 100 employees. But on another level, you're accountable to the people you're serving in a way that a not-for-profit you wouldn't necessarily be. Mm-hmm. Because pe- people could be unhappy, and I'm going too long here, but you could go raise a million dollars from somebody that thinks it's a great idea. Mm-hmm but they don't know how good the service is. So that, I find that actually quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so looking back, now that you're running it this way, would, would you consider becoming a 501c3 or do you want to keep going forward on the, on the path you're on? No, I think, I think we have some exciting things in the pipelines and some pretty cool stuff going to uh, be happening here in 2020 um, that... Um, will help to bridge the gap a little bit financially um, and just really exciting things. So, um, no, I I think I'm going to just keep it going. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, usually I like to ask like what's in the future towards the end of the discussion, but let's jump into that because you, you, you alluded to exciting things. Share some of the things that, that you're hoping to develop and roll out this year. Yeah. Well, we did, we have, uh, someone that, Lord willing, and if everything falls in place, I'll preface it that way, um, they've agreed uh, to donate a steel riding arena that was on a property that they bought. It needs to be moved. It needs to go somewhere. And so um, they are donating it to Bethany Christian Services to put here on the property. Okay. Um, and, of course, Bethany and... Uh, and my husband and I met with corporate there and have that worked out in a, in, you know, a legal way that makes that work. Sure. So, um, what an indoor arena will do for us is enable us to add some programs that we weren't able to do, um, without it. And also we find that kids sometimes, if they just started psychotherapy with the horses in say October, um, they, they tend to regress a little bit because they have to stop riding. Uh, it's a long, cold winter. winter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So they could keep going. We don't have to interrupt services if we have the indoor. So that's all good. Um, plus, uh, one of the things that we're really enjoying or kids are really enjoying, families are enjoying is, um, the foster care programs with Bethany, Um, and they are 10 weeks long. So it's a real challenge to figure out when are we going to start those so that they're done in time before the time changes. And it's just, 
it's going to be much nicer, Gives much easier to have yeah, the okay. underarm. So another thing is um, we are going to be developing a leadership development program here at Little Springs. It's been something that I have been ruminating on and thinking about. And no pun intended. <laughs> are, are horses ruminators? <laughs> no, they're not. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would be your cows okay, and steers. So the ignorant host here, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, uh, I guess I would, I would like to say that um, I heard somebody say something like, fear may ride along, but don't give her the reins. And I kind of gave fear the reins for a long time with this thing. But um, I've, I'm going to be collaborating with someone who is much smarter than me when it comes to the business side of things. Um, and also my husband being a business entrepreneur sure. who started his company from 18 years old up, he, you know, he knows a lot about business and we are putting our heads together and we're developing a, um, an equine segment to leadership development. So this would be like maybe a corporate team could bring in executives, managers, et cetera, or individuals that are of that ilk could come in and get some extra training or development around leadership. Yeah, and what what could happen is it ends up being like like wraparound services are in the social services world. Um, the way that wraparound services were started is that professionals were telling families years ago what the family needs to do for their child, not what the what the family needs to thrive. So uh. wraparound services were started to support the family in a holistic manner. And that's what I see this program doing. Um, a business could bring their, say, their executive team in for some coaching. Um, they might have an idea of where their deficiencies are, where the holes are in their organization. But after spending the the first day off-site, uh, those things become really really obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we can implement sort of like wraparound services where you can, we can point them into the directions where they need to go. They can come back for follow-ups. And again, um, it's all very experiential and, um, very holistic. You know, it's like, it just amazes me when people want to lose weight, they pay money to go figure out how to lose weight. Just stop eating. You don't need to pay money. But why, we do. why are you looking at me when you say that, Cindy? <laughs> but we do. We all do. We yeah. need that we need guidance. Help. We you need, need the accountability. We all know what we're supposed to do, but you need. we need another human being sometimes yeah. to help us. Yeah, and we know that the way that we grow and learn is by taking time for self-reflection, for asking ourselves the tough questions. But do we take the time to do it? Yeah. You know, and that's what the the beauty of this program is going to be. Come here. Um, it's 20 acres of property. There's a pond with a little beach and time and structure built around figuring out what problems need to be solved. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited about it. Um, but it sounds like it's taken a bit of a step of faith for you. Like you were, you had this idea a while ago, but you were a little fearful of, of jumping out and doing it. Yeah. This, the whole kid programming, 
I just love it. I, it's almost like second nature. You tell me what you need and honey, I'll design it, you know, just no problem. It's just what my sweet spot, but what, what was holding me back is like, I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily the, the five steps of this or that in business, you know, like everybody has their book. Yeah. Yeah, They all have their little theories. I haven't studied those things much. I have in the past year now that we're designing this. Um, but I think that businesses also like the, the main, the problem where a lot of businesses get stuck is not how do we make a better product? It's, you know, now that we have a really great product, how do we have a really great team? Yeah, how do we communicate sure. better? Sure. How does everyone feel valued? Um, can I lead myself? If I can't lead myself, I can't lead a team. Yeah. Um, and adults, I that. mean, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be a foster child to have destructive behaviors, self-destructive behaviors, attitudes. Pers- I mean, you know, we've all worked in workplaces. We've all behaved in ways that we're not proud of. We've all been the victims or the recipients of, of other people's problems. You know, we like to think that, well, this is strictly business. I'm just here doing my job, but people bring who they are to the table. Mm-hmm. They bring their personal problems. Mm-hmm. They bring their hangups, their fears. We can't help it. It's who we are. So that's uh, fascinating. And what I like about what you're saying is, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe you weren't an executive in a Fortune 50 company. But smart entrepreneurs surround themselves with people that offset. So you're like, look, I got the, I got the equine thing. I've got the how do you help people overcome mm-hmm. problems. I got that. But then you're saying, well, I'm bringing somebody else in. My husband's going to be involved. And they're bringing mm-hmm. other skill sets to the table. So together you've got an offering that's compelling. Yeah. And everybody gets to be in their sweet spot, ideally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I traveled to Texas for a three three-day conference where I did some of this work and I got to be the participant. And I thought, really, I flew all this way for this. Like, this is not what I expected. (laughs) But when you do the work, as it was explained, it sounded too simple to me. But when you get a group of people in a room and you're given some task or some goal to achieve with a horse who is unpredictable Mm. and you all get started on this, this task, things happen and you just go with what that thing was and you spend a lot of time processing, you spend a lot of time looking at the energy that the horse brought to it. What did the energy of your group do to the horse? What did the horse show, show us about our, ourselves as a group? Mm. What did the horse show me as an individual? It's really powerful stuff. Mm. So I was glad I got to experience that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, let me ask you a question. What's been your biggest challenge? We've talked about trying to get the business started and trying to get people to understand in the community, like professionals, and say, hey, yeah, a therapist, I'd like to work with you. No, it doesn't really fit my model, my paradigm. But so you've had some challenges that we've already talked about. What's been the most challenging over the last handful of years f- for you and for this this work that you're doing? Well, yeah, professionally, I would say the biggest challenge is just, um, you know, what we talked about, feeling like I'm sitting on the fence trying to trying to navigate running a business, a, a for-profit business that's not profitable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, how can I make it the best thing, the best that it can be, um, 
with the revenue streams sure. that I have. Sure. That's that was the the biggest remains the biggest professional challenge. The biggest personal challenge I would say was when we really started to dig into foster care preparation services. I thought I was ready for it and I thought that I had already heard some pretty powerful stories from families with children who were adopted from um, other countries where they didn't receive great care Mm -hmm. as infants and Mm -hmm. what that, what that did to their brain development and, you know, how trauma affected them. But it was a whole new thing with the foster care kids. The stories that I heard were not what I expected. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And the fact for me, the most difficult thing was these children, um, little nine, 10 year old girls would come in just beautiful in their low cow, cowgirl boots and running around the barn. And they looked, they hit it so well. Right. Okay. And so then I would go out and I'd look at all these children that I didn't know. And the question that I'd ask myself is, what is that child dealing with? What is that child dealing with? They don't wear a sign. So, so we like to think, oh, I can tell with the people, like my own children, my spouse, my coworker, I can kind of tell if something's going on. I think everybody mm-hmm. likes to feel mm-hmm. they've got a good read on whatever's going mm-hmm. on. And you're a professional in this field and you're telling me, look at these kids and you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But then you're knowing because you're involved with them what really has happened. I'm hearing things, stories about unkind hands is how they, they talk about it. And you know, what happened Mm -hmm. when the unkind hands showed up that day, what it really felt like to be hungry for three days, what it felt like to steal food from the dog dish and, and worse and way worse things that we don't need to talk about today, but that was hard. That was really hard. You weren't prepared for that. You thought, you thought you knew Mm -hmm. you'd seen it all, I guess is the way to say Mm -hmm. it, but but you weren't prepared for how tough. Mm -hmm. Hmm. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with tough situations as a professional? Well, I think everybody finds their tribe. I mean, business people like to talk to business people, motorcycle riders like to talk to other motorcycle riders. Um, For me, I think connecting now it's so much easier with Facebook and um, podcasts and, you know, you, you meet people, I'm, I'm friends with therapists and equine professionals in other countries. I've designed a program one time with the help of someone that lives in, um, Australia. Mm-hmm. So I lean pretty heavily on my tribe. Um, and that keeps you from getting burned out or hopeless. Cause I would, I would over a while, a period of time feel <laughs> hopeless or, or, Impotent, meaning you see all these kids being hurt. Yes, I mean, you're working with them on a daily basis, but you can't, for me, at least I'd feel like, well, I'd want to stop whatever happened before it happened. How do you keep from just getting fried as a professional? I guess is my yeah, question. It's, it's different for everyone. We, I do have um, one person that was involved in the program last year that opted out this year because it's too tough. Too tough yeah. yeah. But, um, I think the beauty of it is seeing the positive results, even with this group, um, the foster care children that come in, seeing what happens. um, Foster care preparation services are guaranteed for every kiddo in the foster care system 
in the state of Pennsylvania. Okay. And they are entitled to 10 weeks of services that meets every other week. And they get to hang out with and get to know other kids that are exactly the same as them. And they get to talk about what's it like when you go to the cafeteria and no one wants to sit beside you because they know that you're in care. Um, what is it like when you're 16 years old and you're asked to write down all of the homes that you've lived in and oh, you can't goodness. remember after home number 33? Yeah, that's Can terrible. you imagine? No. And the rules are different at every house. One family says you can bring your, your food into the family room and watch TV. The other, the next family says, oh, no, and how do you keep that all straight? And they talk about that. They mm -hmm. process that. Um, one of the goals of the, there's five goals that, that we cover in the foster care preparation services program, and one is um, we create connections, and that's with each other. That's with the um, facilitators. Um, one is look to the future so they can kind of decide, you know, what do I want to do after this? Do I, would I want to be adopted? Am I going to stay in until I age out? Is college an option for me? Um, hmm. And then we help them to honor their past and we help them to understand that just because this is a part of your past, it doesn't define you. It's not who you are. It's what happened to you. And those are two very different things. That's powerful. But having the ability to look at it and not run away from it mm -hmm. and just, you know, understand that it's, it is a part of my past. And you don't have to be ashamed of your past. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So for me, that's what keeps me going. That's, that's what gives me the courage and the energy and the desire sure. to want to keep, keep being involved with that. That's awesome. So, that's pretty so cool. you're driven from the inside, which I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, this isn't like, Hey, I decided to be a nurse and it's hard to be in the ER, but the pay is good. This is, mm -hmm. there's an mm -hmm. intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. I guess as we close it, I, my question for you is what, what are you most proud of or what are you most uh, grateful that's happened either uh, through this work or what you've been able to accomplish as you've gone this road. Uh, I'd love to just hear, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things, but what are you most proud of? I think the thing that I'm most proud of is being able to create something that brings people here who I'm proud of. Does that make sense? What I mean by that is everyone that's here is here because they want to be Parents bring their kids here because they want to give them an opportunity to learn and grow and develop new skills. They want to provide something for them that's different, that's special, maybe a little, sometimes a little cutting edge, depending what they're signing up for. These parents love their children wholeheartedly. Um, some of the parents learn right along with their children. They're in it along with their kids. It's not like I'm bringing my kid here, fix my kid. It's like, can you help us? And that I think is beautiful. And I'm proud of every single one of them for the effort that they put into it. My guest today is Cindy Martin. She's the executive director of Little Springs Farms. Cindy, thank you so much for being a guest today on The Currency. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. I'm grateful for the conversation, and uh, I'm, I'm very touched by uh, your story and the work that you're doing and your heart that you put into it. Thank and you. Uh, 
very impressive. Guys, I know this is a little different than our typical episode, but I thought it was so important to talk to Cindy and hear the work she does and uh, the vision that she has and the fact that she decided to do it as a for-profit. Not that it's all about the for-profit, but I thought that was an interesting approach. Do me a favor, please check out her work. You can go to the website, littlespringsfarm.com. As I said earlier, the website will be posted in the show notes below. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find The Currency on Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, everywhere that fine podcasts are provided. Guys, you know this, but I'm going to tell you again, I love you all and I'll catch you in the next episode.